Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. You are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital, like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So Welcome to Anything is Potable! Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And Jay is coming to us live from some sort of Bay Area in San Francisco, Oakland. I don't know where he's staying. You guys don't need to know that. But we are coming to you the day after the Celtics shock the Warriors and take Game 1 of the NBA Finals behind a 40-16 fourth quarter. With two minutes left to play in the third quarter, the Celtics were down by 15. And then after that, they just refused to miss any shots. An absolute barrage of three-pointers in the fourth quarter just that came out of nowhere. I was personally already preparing myself, being like, oh, you know, they've lost the game one of the uh, the last two series. They're going to be okay. And then, bam, the Celtics struck back and just dominated the fourth quarter. Jay, you were in the building. What the hell happened out there? That was wild. Yeah, that was a stunner. <laughs> that, that was crazy. I mean, the most lopsided fourth quarter in NBA Finals history. And the Celtics did it on the road against the three-time champions. It, I don't. I didn't know how to react. <laughs> I'm, I'm still not sure exactly how it happened. I know the Celtics hit a million three-pointers in a row. I know Derek White hit some tough ones, and Al Horford got hot. And then Marcus Smart hit a couple at the end of the quarter to just send them send them to to bed. I know Jalen Brown was fantastic at the start of the fourth quarter to give them a chance. I know that their defense just ruined Jordan Poole in those Jordan Poole minutes and then had another basically five-minute stretch where the Warriors didn't score even after Curry got back to the court. It was just utter domination in the fourth quarter to 
to give the Celtics a 1-0 series lead. I, there were even let's go Celtics chance in Chase Center. So that's how weird the night was. Yeah, it was it was not looking great for the Celtics. I thought they did a very good job at the start of the game with withstanding the punch that was Steph Curry hitting six threes in the first quarter. They came back in the second quarter, and then the boom, the Warriors go out another huge run and kind of were just doing a, a – the Celtics offense really couldn't create much, and the, the Warriors just felt like they were demolishing them, whether it was Curry knocking down threes – and then they started showing more pressure to Curry, and then the Warriors felt like they were, uh, had a couple easy baskets just in that four-on-three scenario. But you're right. Jalen Brown, at the start of that fourth quarter, I think he scored the first 10 points of that quarter, had a number of assists, the lob to Rob Williams. I He thought he was so dynamic there, and just kind of rather quickly, the Celtics were back in that game. Um, and then all of a sudden, the Warriors, once they got to, I think it was 103 points, they just stopped scoring. Uh, the Celtics defense was dominant. They they uh, forced the Warriors into a lot of turnovers. Um, I think the Warriors had four turnovers in that quarter. Celtics scored ten points off of that. But I thought it was huge for in a game in which Jalen or Jason Tatum clearly struggled to score, missing kind of some shots you'd normally see him hit. He did a great job distributing the basketball. The Warriors were clearly keyed in on Jason Tatum. I thought it was huge given that that Jalen Brown kind of stepped up and kind of took the reins at the start of the fourth quarter to get them back into that game. Yeah, he he was enormous. And and obviously you down 12 heading into the fourth, you need to take advantage with Stephen Curry on the bench. And if you don't, your opportunity's gone. By the time Steph checked in 2 minutes 25 seconds later, the Celtics had shaved seven points off the deficit. Jalen Brown was a huge part of that. The The defense on Jordan Poole. There, there was one play where the, Andre Iguodala ended the possession with a post-up. But before that, Jordan Poole, I think he was trying to come around a screen. And, and Jason Tatum was just kind of stood in front of him and, and wouldn't let him go. And Poole just like backed off into the corner, threw his hands up in the air, and the possession deteriorated into an Andre Iguodala post-up, which, even though he's on Peyton Pritchard, is never what the Warriors want to get. And I just thought in that moment that you could see the Celtics' physicality will be a lot for Poole. As much as experience as the Warriors have, he doesn't have that in these type of games against this type of defense. And I thought that the minutes with him were just a disaster. And then once Steph got back on the court, Jalen had taken control. The Celtics were surging. And I thought as 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 important as it was for the Celtics to have like cause the five minute drought later in the half, I thought it was just as important that they answered every time the Warriors scored for five straight possessions. Like midway through the third quarter the fourth quarter, Steph hit a jumper over Robert Williams. Steph found Draymond, who found Andre Iguodala. Steph got to the hoop, did an up and under uh, under Derek White, and the Celtics scored every single time. After all of that, it was five straight buckets for the Warriors. The Celtics were still within three points. It was the exact same deficit they had before all that. And then... Then their defense got going, and it was like, oh, okay. But I just thought 
the answers that they had offensively during that stretch was just really impressive. And obviously they, they just shot the hell out of it for the start of the fourth quarter. But I also thought their offense was just super sharp. Like they, they were finding guys, they were making passes. Horford was letting it fly as soon as he was catching ready. It was just a really, really impressive fourth quarter on both ends of the court. Yeah, the the threes that they got, like obviously hitting the first seven threes of the quarter is is somewhat of an outlier. I and mean, we saw Draymond Green after the game being like, what, 15 for 23 from Derek White, Marcus Smart, and Al Horford. Like you kind of, you live with that. One of, but one of those Derek White ones in the fourth was nonsense too. I was going to say, save for that Derek White nonsense, like super contested one that I think I think tied the game or or put the Celtics up three. The rest were like pretty wide open shots. And it felt like given the kind of defense the Warriors were playing, shots they were going to live with, like they left – how many times did they leave Al Horford wide open? How many times did they leave Marcus Smart? Like he hit some wide open shots. Just given the, the amount of attention they were giving and help they were showing to Jason Tatum. And I think the, one of the reasons that they were kind of able to open things up is – once Jalen Brown showed that what he could do on the drive, they had to show him a little bit more help too. I think that just opened up um, open shots for Horford. Then there's another play where Jason Tatum drove and he found uh, Peyton Pritchard wide open in the corner, which I thought was a really nice driving kick from him. It was during that stretch, I think you mentioned, where they were just answering the Warriors. Uh, what do you think of Ime's decision to kind of to go small there and – I think he used a lineup. I think B Rob had this in his story. Uh, a lineup that has only played two minutes together throughout the entire uh, postseason. It was Robert Williams, Peyton Pritchard, Derek White, Jalen Brown, and uh, wow, can't even remember the last guy. But Jason uh, Tatum. <laughs> yeah, that seems about right. Uh, <laughs> what do you think of the decision to kind of go small there and abandon the two big lineup and try to just like get more shooting on the court yeah I thought I thought beyond just getting more shooting on the court it was getting more perimeter minded defenders on the court and and we saw early in the first quarter like Steph is just a lot to deal with (laughs) yeah and they they didn't even do it well though they lay the amount of wide open threes that they allowed Steph to take was just uh, ridiculous yeah and but it's just a, especially after dealing with Giannis and Jimmy Butler, who you're trying to give jumpers to. Like you're literally just sagging off them and hoping that they shoot and let you off the hook. Guarding the Warriors is just totally different, like insanely different. And you got to deal with two of the best shooters in NBA history. You got to deal with all the off ball movement. You got to deal with all the passing that they have and all the cutting. And it's like just a lot for for a double big lineup to to deal with and I thought on top of that the other decision that Ime Udoka made in the fourth quarter was not using Grant Williams at all so it was like they can go small sometimes with Grant Williams at four but they went small like small small and and they were still able to get stops and you know I think we saw in the first half when that double big lineup was was going um, there was one play where Clay Thompson was coming off a pin down and Al Horford was chasing him over the pin down. And 
Al Horford is a great defender in space. He has been as good in switches as any big man. He's not your average 35, now 36-year-old. Happy birthday, Al. Um, but like that stuff is just foreign to big guys. And the Warriors make you guard so much that sometimes you get stuck in situations like that. I thought by going smaller, the Celtics gave them a better chance to switch more, to to keep the Warriors into more of a stagnant offense to keep them away from all the off-ball movement and all the open looks that kind of get them going. And I, I thought during that fourth quarter, they were able to disrupt Golden State in a way that not many teams do, especially in Chase Center, especially in the playoffs. they Steph only had, I think it was one three-point attempt in the fourth quarter. And so that they were forcing him to the paint. They were helping there. They were helping off Draymond Green. They were helping off Andre Iguodala. They were really shrinking the court for those guys and, and making it tough on them. And to do that with a small lineup, I thought was really impressive. Peyton Pritchard's defense was pretty good, by the way. Peyton Pritchard was, was really, really hounding dudes. I was watched it back this morning. I was just like impressed with his. It's just his hustle, both him actually and Derek White. Derek White's going to be huge for the Celtics this entire series, just because his ability to navigate screens and just kind of He's guards. a wizard. He's a wizard at that stuff. He's so but good like, at it. He was, like the Celtics defense just looks so much better when they could have both him and Marcus Smart on the court. Um, and it feels like he's going to need to play heavy minutes throughout this series just because if they're going to want to – basically have someone on curry the entire time he's in the game and then be able to guard all uh all the other stuff that the, the warriors do off ball the thing that's interesting to me is like the celtics going small kind of forces the warriors to go small they kevin looney only played i think three minutes in that fourth quarter there he was he was pretty dominant like his his uh the, the warriors i think had 26 second chance points Offensive rebounds was a huge uh, factor um, for why they were able to kind of build up that lead there. I just don't know who, if they take Looney off the court, who's their best kind of lineup there. I thought they probably could have played Otto Porter Jr. more. I thought he had a great game and was kind of a shock to see him not uh, playing down the stretch. But it's gonna. I, I just don't know what the, the Warriors, if they go small with Draymond at the five, who are the other guys out there? who can kind of go on, on both ways. So clearly Jordan Poole is, is not the answer because it feels like he's not getting them buckets on the non-Steph minutes, and he's certainly someone they can target uh, defensively. It felt like the Celtics in the second half did a much better job of just tar- like trying to target Steph and trying to target Jordan Poole and get them in as many actions as possible. So I'm going to be curious to see like what the, what the counter is for the Warriors and what their five-man lineup is. To me, it feels like it should be Curry, Clay. Wiggins, Otto Porter, and Draymond Green, but I don't really think remember seeing that out there. Like a lot of a lot more Andre Iguodala in the fourth quarter than I was used to or was expecting. Yeah, and Iguodala's been good for them this year whenever he's been healthy. But I think the Celtics really, really like played off him, dared him and Draymond to shoot, and and were able to to help muck up the Warriors' offense a little bit that way. The the Jordan Poole stuff, he he needs to play better for them. He he can't be 
an offensive nothing while also being the guy that the Celtics target every time that that and he could like he he could come out in game two and hit a bunch of threes and 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 really be a plus like he he's a very explosive offensive talent but in in game one I just felt like he was overwhelmed not by the moment not by like the stage but but just the, the, the Celtics defense, yeah, by by the big dudes. Like there was a one play, Marcus March just ripped the ball out of his hands. It was it was like, yeah, man, I'm not I'm not you're not dealing with Spencer Dinwiddie anymore. You're not dealing <laughs> with with Davis Bertans. Like this is this is a bunch of grown men, and I felt like Poole, that was a tough adjustment for him uh, specifically. So, but I mean, those minutes could very well go the other way in the future. The Celtics will definitely attack him and and try to pick on him, but he's a super talented offensive player. So I don't think it's necessarily something where the, the Warriors can't play him. I do think the, the Steph pool minutes when they're both together could be tough in this series for the Warriors because you got some door creaking going on because the the Celtics just have a, a lot of size and and their size can put the ball on the floor. Their size can go at you. Even Derek White, like if if he's in a closeout situation, he can put Jordan Poole on his hip and make a play for himself or somebody else. And so it's I don't know if that duo can survive defensively for the Warriors in this series, but we'll see. It, it felt like the Celtics did a better job of kind of t- trying to use that size to their advantage in the second half. It felt like there was a number of plays where it was just trying to get Tatum um, on Curry. Um, I think there's one play where it was like after Horford had hit a couple of threes, he had it at the top of the key and Draymond had to step out on him and just kind of left Curry alone on Tatum. Ended up drawing a foul. I'm pretty sure it was a terrible call and it wasn't a foul uh, whatsoever, but uh, the foul was called there. They tried to go to it again, I think, to start the fourth quarter, and Al ended up actually just throwing it right to Curry. But it did, definitely felt like that was part of the kind of the Celtics trying to just run some uh, run some action to get that advantage, to get Tatum onto Curry, um, which is not something they did very well in the in the first half. It was just kind of a wild game, just a, a back back and forth game between just like the first quarter where Curry just comes out absolutely on fire. Second quarter, Celtics answer. Third quarter, Celtics gave up 38 points to the Warriors. And then obviously the fourth quarter, I guess taking a, a, a step back and like trying to not focus just on the fourth quarter alone. Um, what do you, what do you think like the biggest adjustments are for I guess the Warriors in, in responding to uh, I guess losing Game One their first home loss of this uh, playoffs? Yeah, I think it was just the third Game One loss they've had under Kerr, which is wild. The amount of series that team has been in, the amount of of times they've had Game One, and that was their third loss <laughs> like that. That's insane. The Celtics have they lost two in this playoff run? Did 
Did they lose to the Miami Heat in game one? I don't even remember. Yes, they did. They lost game one point. to Miami Heat and game one to the Bucks. And I, I was tweeting losing game one's part of the formula. And then they had the uh, the fourth quarter that they did. But yeah, no, not something the the Warriors do regularly, especially on the, they had not lost at home this entire postseason, and now the Celtics are eight and two on the road in, in the playoffs, which is just absolutely insane. Especially when you look at the importance of those games and the quality of competition they they had to go into milwaukee in game six to keep their season alive they had to go to miami for game seven and fend off jimmy butler bam out kyle lowry pj tucker all those guys so their eight and two record on the road partly because they haven't been as good at home has been extremely important and you know, I, I thought coming into this series, the Celtics could not go back to Boston down two nothing. If they went back to Boston down two nothing, that that would have been bad news. They would have been needing to win four of the next five games against a championship proven core, and and they went in and what just had an incredible fourth quarter, just a ridiculous fourth quarter. I thought part of it, and Tatum finished three for 17, and obviously it was not his best game ever. And I I don't want to give him too much credit for a game when he missed. I just, some wide open shot. (laughs) He really had some wide open shots. Some wide open threes and some floaters and some stuff, like layups that you're just like very much used to him hitting that he missed in this game. Yeah, but. That that game, the performance by him with the 13 assists, I just felt like not that it sh- showed just his growth as a playmaker, but his growth not to settle. He The 13 assists happened because he kept putting pressure on the Warriors' defense because he wasn't pulling up for tough, contested shots because he decided, you know, things aren't going right for me, but I'm going to keep getting the paint, and I'm going to puncture this defense, and I'm going to help make my teammates open. And and that's been part of his evolution that I think we don't normally discuss. It's It's normally... You know, people talk about his passing. People talk about how much better he's gotten as as a decision maker. And I guess that's that's part of this conversation too. But I feel like often it gets lost in that. That part of it is just he's changed his playing style to keep putting constant pressure on a defense. And, And sometimes that gets him more free throws. Sometimes that gets him points. In game one, that got him assists, and it got his teammates going, and it helped the Celtics survive a Warriors team that is just a lot to deal with defensively. And you need to score and score and score to keep up sometimes when they go on runs, and the Celtics did that, partly because Tatum, in a 3-for-17 performance, was still pretty good. 
Yeah, there's definitely a maturity there of like understanding I still need to be in attack mode. I still need to be doing all these things, even when my shot's not falling, to get all those open shots. And because it, it like, again, the, the a lot of those threes in the fourth quarter, save for that absurd Derek White one that was he just took with someone in his, uh, basically in his shorts, all of them were pretty wide open because of all the help they were showing and like willingness to kind of show Tatum. Uh, and so he just continually made the right play. I thought a huge thing for the Celtics, not a lot of turnovers in this game. They only had 12 turnovers. Um, just something that's been an issue for them throughout the entire playoffs, given how much uh, attention Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum uh, had. I mean, J- Jalen Brown still had his four turnovers, which feels like it's probably uh, pretty standard at this point, but he had five assists uh, Tatum had uh, 13 assists, but four of those coming in the fourth quarter. I just thought the Celtics did a really good job of handling the basketball, making the right pl- making the right pass, um, and then just shooting the lights out, which uh, I yeah, don't know if it's it, sustainable, but like the process of just like drive, kick, like keep passing the ball, move, like finding the right way and like taking care of the basketball, I think is definitely something they can, they can lean on moving forward. Uh, when shots are not necessarily falling at at the rate they did in the fourth quarter. And that's key for them, the turnover thing. I think that's a key for this series. Can the Warriors find a way to speed them up, to force them into bad decisions, to to disrupt them in ways that Milwaukee and Miami achieved at times? And I, the Warriors, like they're a different type of team. They've had a great defense all season. But I'm not sure they are capable of f- turning over the Celtics at the rate those other teams did. But Miami was incredible at mucking up the game. Jimmy Butler was hunting down every passing lane. P.J. Tucker was as physical as can be. Kyle Lowry was just like dragging his injured leg <laughs> and f- Fly, flying into the paint and trying to take charges left and right. Gabe Vincent was picking up 94 feet and just doing a damn good job of it. Yeah, so the Warriors need to do a better job of of f- turning over the Celtics, taking away their rhythm. I, I thought, you know, even when Curry was, was hot, the Celtics scored enough to to stay within four at the end of the first quarter. Even after they got down, I think it was 10 in the second quarter, they were able to come back and and lead by two at halftime. Even after the third quarter when a lot went wrong, the third quarter is off in the Warriors' quarter, the Celtics were able to respond to that and and not turn the ball over. And they re- Their offensive execution during the fourth quarter was – Really impressive. Um, I think turnovers are going to be a key issue on the other side of the ball too because during that kind of comeback, the Warriors had some bad turnovers, whether it was Jordan Poole kind of throwing the ball to no one. I think Andre Iguodala did the same. Um, The Warriors are a turnover-prone team, and if the Celtics can continue to do that and make them – I don't know if they're necessarily going to make them pay uh, as well as they did – uh, in this game, they scored 21 points off 14 turnovers. It seems like they're making a lot of shots there. But the Warriors have a tendency when the when they're off, like they're an aggressive 
team that's with a lot of movement, a lot of motion. They throw in some passes sometimes. But I thought the Celtics did a good job of kind of of being like mucking them up, getting them in the mud, and kind of slowing them down. And I think that'll be huge for the Celtics moving forward. Um, Jay, I have a question for you. You're the expert. I actually have two questions for you. What do you think of Robert Williams' performance in his 24 minutes? And why the hell did Daniel Tice play six minutes in this game? I was questioning the Daniel Tice minutes. I I think it was just to limit Al Horford's minutes, limit Robert Williams' minutes, and and give them a little stint of of rest. Those those what was it? Six minutes that yeah that Tice played. Those were six minutes that would have gone to Horford or Williams otherwise. And Horford has played a ton of minutes in this playoffs. He only played 33 in that game. So Robert it was Williams. purely just like a six minutes, like let's get Al some rest. Let's, we don't have to play him here. That would be my guess. Would be that, yeah, Al Horford, he played a ton of minutes in the previous series. He played 44 in game seven against... Miami. He is now today 36. Though <laughs> no, during game one, he was 35 years old. Um, and early in a series, my guess is, and nobody asked Ime about this afterward, there was more important stuff to ask about. But my guess is that he just decided, okay, let's let's limit Horford's minutes early in this series. And and see if we can get away with a little tight stint, and the tight stint wasn't it wasn't awful, except when he boxed out Grant Williams instead of his man. But other than that, he knocked down a three in the corner, which I think he makes up makes up for everything. Anytime you can get a Daniel Tice swish from the corner, I think it it justifies his six minutes. Yeah, he he, and he was <laughs> he was part of their probably unsustainable shooting, <laughs> six for eight from Al Horford. Five for eight from Derek White. Four for seven from Marcus Smart. And one three-pointer from Daniel Tice. So, I know Draymond said it, and Celtics fans probably are like, eh, like, shut up. You guys scored 16 points in the fourth quarter. You guys gave up wide-open shots to Derek White and Al Horford and Marcus Smart most of the night. But he's right. For those guys to go 15 for 23 between them, no matter what caliber of looks they get, that's not happening. I mean, it just did. game moving (laughs) forward. But it it won't happen again. It just won't. They got 16 made three-pointers from Tice, White, Smart, and Al Horford. Al Horford is... I think he's the oldest player now to hit six threes in an NBA Finals game. I think he had the most three-pointers for a player in his NBA Finals debut ever, (laughs) Al Horford. So as well as he shot the ball, and he shot the ball really well during the playoffs. The the Warriors can't afford to leave him open because he's in a rhythm, and he's playoff out right now, and he he can smell that title. But the the other guys – like Derek White, Marcus Smart, those numbers could could definitely go south for the Celtics further on in this series. And I think that's a big key, honestly, 
because the Warriors, they give up threes to, to guys like that. And if you can punish them, if, if you can hit as many shots as those guys did, Derek White was a plus 25 in 32 minutes. He was just fantastic. Just fantastic. And, and if, if he forces them to change the way they guard him, then all of a sudden that helps Tatum get buckets. It helps Brown get buckets. So even if it's just a step, you're right. But like, he's going to be, as he was in the fourth quarter, he's going to be one pass away uh, the entire time. And they're going to want him to shoot. And you have to give him some credit for being confident enough to shoot and like take those shots. Cause it's not something he was necessarily doing in the final kind of months of the season or even a couple rounds of the playoffs, but he's really stepped up the final, I think like, or the past four or five games here for the Celtics and had some huge performances. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see if like, I just, obviously I don't think it's sustaining to for them to be able to hit that many shots, but it does feel like the answer for the Celtics is to go small, have Derek white on the court, not only for his kind of shooting like that, but his defense on Steph Curry. And it's going to be interesting to see how the Warriors counter that. I'm looking at the box score right now. Steph Curry had six threes in the first quarter, only had one in the remainder of the game. And the Celtics were really keyed in on him, you know, as they probably should have been to start the game, but they were definitely after he knocked down six threes, helping pretty much off of Draymond entirely. Draymond had two of 12 in this game, only scored four points. I think he actually had the, the Warriors' best plus-minus, if you don't count the kind of the guys who are in the final uh, in, in the final garbage time. What did you think of Draymond's game? Because they really, like, let him shoot whatever he wanted. And he was not only missing threes. He was missing a lot of layups and things like that. If he's – like, the, the Celtics, it felt like later in the clock especially. Like, they, they kind of crowded him earlier, but then later in the clock it was, like, all the attention is on Steph. What do you think of Draymond's performance? And just like, are they just going to continue to let him shoot uh, and try to make plays that way? Yes. Yes, they absolutely <laughs> are. That will be their strategy. No matter how many threes he takes and makes it, they're going to, cause you have to find somewhere and Draymond with his percentages, everything like that. Obviously he is a, a weak, I don't want to say a weak link for that offense because he, he does so much for them with his passing, with his intelligence, with his screen setting, w- with everything. But shooting-wise, especially if you get it to him at the end of the shot clock, you feel pretty comfortable with that. It's like his minutes were sort of like if Derek White had gone started missing shots. You know, <laughs> like all of a sudden that defensive strategy that Derek White punished the Celtics – got away with it against Draymond and I I don't remember all of his shots but a bunch of them seemed like they were just at the end of a shot clock he kind of had to shoot and it was just a bad possession that finished off with Draymond taking like a tough shot so I I didn't have if I were to worry I wouldn't have had a problem with the way Draymond played I thought he was very impactful obviously his defense is always on another level but yeah, if if he can't hurt the Celtics for the way that they're going to leave him and the way that they're going to help off on Steph and and the way that 
they tried to run the Warriors off the three-point arc, especially late, then then that will make things more difficult for the Warriors. Yeah, I thought it was like the, the Celtics made some solid adjustments in just terms of defending Steph. There were some occasions where they were showing two to the ball and so the Warriors really punished them with some four-on-three, some easy buckets. But I thought, again, the Celtics made adjustments of, of – um, I think Marcus Smart had a great steal of, of kind of uh, attacking the guy that the, the the roller on the catch, not making that easy. Uh, and uh, but it's going to be a, definitely a, a guessing game and trying to be constantly throwing Steph Curry different looks uh, because he, as we saw in the first quarter, can be especially dangerous. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Let's go to the, the lines right now. Tony B, join us here on the podcast. Tony B, how are you doing? Hey, not too bad. Again, a great show, guys. Real nice. Thank, Thank you. you. My question is this. You know, looking at the series just early on, it's, it's weird. It's almost reminded me of 2004, the Pistons against the, against the Lakers, where the Lakers came in and everybody assumed, well, not everybody, but – a lot of people assume because of the big names the Lakers had and how they had came through the West that they were just going to demolish Detroit, but they underestimated how great Detroit's defense was, and it showed out during that series when they beat them, particularly, the, I guess, last, last four games in a row. And it's weird. It almost get the same feeling that looking at this series, from even from last night, that once the Celtics kind of, you know, kind of got the jitters out of the way, all of a sudden, it's just like, as they was mentioning, I think, last night on, on the different broadcast that you could see the Warriors was like, you know, like they were hung, hung over. Like they were out of breath because I think the Celtics' physical game was taking a toll on them. And as that game went on, it really wore them down. So I'm just wondering, from your perspective, would you be shocked? Would you not be surprised, that, especially if they win game two, if they just sweep the series? 
I would be really surprised if they sweep the series. I just think the Warriors are too good, too proven, too too talented, too Steph. <laughs> like they they're they are going to respond. They they have always responded. The the physicality stuff it definitely impacted the Warriors late in that game. I'm not going to sit here and say that that Stephen Curry will always score just four points in the fourth quarter or that he will be worn down by the Celtics. He is as well-conditioned as anyone in the NBA. He, I, I just, it was, it's easy to react and say after a fourth quarter like that, that the Warriors were, you know, tired, worn down, whatever. And, and maybe there was some of that, but I don't think it will always be like that. I think the the Celtics, as good as their defense was late in that game, they it really, was equally not good in like the first uh, first and third quarters. Yeah, and I talked to someone with the Celtics before the game yesterday who was kind of just conceded that Steph was going to be just a huge problem for them early on just because of the shock it was to go from Jimmy Butler and Giannis to now it's like, oh, my God, (laughs) this dude, not only can he shoot from the three-point arc, but he can shoot from anywhere inside a half court. (laughs) And and you just have to cover so much more ground. You you cannot afford a miscommunication. If you have a miscommunication against Jimmy Butler, you you can probably at least try to contest his shot. You have a miscommunication against Steph. He's pulling up, and it's over for you. And and I, 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 it, it did feel like the Celtics needed to be hit with that right away to kind of adjust and and see the new reality for a little while before they were able to get sharper. And I think part of that was probably going small, and part of that was switching more often, and and doing all they did in the fourth quarter that they didn't do a lot of earlier in the game. Um, but, but man, Steph, <laughs> Steph can just, he can just smack you in the face, man. And, and he did That first quarter was unbelievable. And and they left him open and they let him get going, but he punished every mistake. Yeah. And I think like the, I definitely think the Celtics physicality had an impact on the Warriors. And I think it's something they're going to respond to, but we've seen this Celtics team. Cool, especially. Pool pool was like just on his heels a little bit. Yeah. We've also seen this Celtics team, um, let's say, not play their best after getting a big win in the playoffs. Uh, they were a- able to do it in, in games four and five of the Miami series. But you would, I would not be shocked, and maybe this is just me being cynical, um, if the Celtics lose game two. Just because there's such a mentality of like you're on the road, you want to you want to take one of two, you want to take home court. They've done their jobs, and we've seen the Celtics team not react well after a win and not play with the same intensity and focus. And so I also think the Warriors are just a championship caliber team, and they're gonna just as the Celtics responded to um, just like heartbreaking losses uh, in the playoffs and came back more focused. I don't expect this, the Warriors to like fold like that, and um, I expect them to come out with a kind of a, a greater effort in Game Two uh, and more adjustments. So I think it's going to be a, definitely a battle, but 
the Celtics definitely announced themselves and definitely were not scared of the moment uh, in game one. Wow, we have full lines. This is more than I've ever seen, so we got to crank through these. Joshua B. Joshua B. Joshua B. How are you doing? I am super excited, and I am just so impressed at how humble you guys have been this whole time. Um, You asked a wonderful question earlier to Jay King about what do you think about Draymond's game. I want to answer that question, too, because I think four points on six fouls and three turnovers was just so wonderful. You know, (laughs) fouls, six fouls and three turnovers, you know, and you get 11 rebounds, eight of them defensive and five assists. That feels like a great ratio. You know, a great two-to-one ratio. Thank God he gave them those four points and missed all the balls <laughs> and, you know, missed most of his 12 shots, including And by the way, while we're talking about Draymond's performance, not giving the Celtics any respect whatsoever at the podium, you just keep doing that. You're really worried about us losing game two. I, I get it that you're worried about it, Jam, but Draymond's totally fine. All the Warriors fans, totally just relax. Take an Aaron Rodgers approach to it. I guarantee you one thing about this Celtics team. We have no trouble whatsoever kicking teams that are sleeping on us, right? Just because they're asleep doesn't mean we won't kick them away. We won't slap them away. And that's what we saw in game one. In game one, oh, yay, they got, they, they did it. They, they won two quarters as opposed to one, like the Miami series. The whole time, the Miami, the whole time in Miami's game one, right? They not only kept it close, but they devastated us on ball at the end of, at, in like, in that third quarter in Miami, right? Even though we won three quarters, they were consistently playing physical defense, which leads me to my question for Jay King, which is how do you feel about Robert Williams getting an extra day's worth of rest? Because he got no physicality from the Golden State defense in that game. I know he played 20 minutes and technically it was a work day, but I was watching that game and Otto Porter Jr. was not banging bodies with Robert Williams. They were both just casually moving around for position. I mean, there was a little bit of physicality, but it was nowhere near what I saw in Miami. Not anywhere close to what we dealt with in Milwaukee. I mean, I would go so far as to say Nick Claxton plays more aggressive defense <laughs> than, than, than Kevon Looney. I mean, this idea that we're de- – so remember that question. But this idea that we're desperately worried about the Warriors. I mean, the Warriors had – everybody who played more than one minute had a negative in the minus. How amazing is Andrew Wiggins' 20 points when you're getting a minus 11 out of him? What difference does it make if you're, if you're – um, if Jordan Poole gives you whatever he gives you if he's minus 19? Like if he's turning the ball over the way he, he is and the, and the Warriors' answer in the postgame is like, yeah, well, don't worry about it. I mean, we've lost games before. We'll come back. Who cares? Like, dude, this is the finals. This is the point. This is the whole reason that Robert Williams had the surgery that he had when I told you he was going to do that with Jerry White. This is it. This is it. And instead, it's just like, yeah, man, they're going to be cool. They're going to be great. I can't wait until we go up two to zero. And then what? Are we going to come out here and celebrate? Or are we going to be like, hey, man, they lost two quarters. <laughs> really, really bad. Oh, sorry, Josh. I, I had to let you go, man. <laughs> I had to. You reached your Josh limit. <laughs> we we do was, have him five stuff. more people. It was amazing stuff, electric stuff. It, but it if you didn't stuff. cut him off, he would have gone on for another twenty minutes. Uh, he's yeah, pumped this, and jacked. Is, that was a finals performance from Josh right there. I'm not gonna lie. That, but that I do was incredible I, stuff. I do yeah. want you to talk about uh, what what do you think from from Robert Williams? Um, 
because I I still don't think he looks that healthy, and I do think the added rest will help. But I don't know. He, he if looks can expect, healthier. He looks, he looks healthier. healthier going up and down. Like his verticality, I think looks okay, but I just don't think he's moving great, like side to side. Yeah, and, and there were moments when the Wiggins matchup was a lot for him. The there was one play he made in the fourth quarter though, where Steph beats somebody I forget who it was, and Rob didn't even notice right away, like. And Steph went in for a lefty layup, and he, he was just cruising to a lefty layup. I don't think he thought anyone could touch the layup. And Robert Williams came in at the last second and, and blocked it. And it was just an incredible recovery. So I don't think he would have been capable of that in game seven against the Heat. I the 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 few days off between series – seemed important for him and and maybe with the extra day off between games one and two then he can get some more treatment he can be a little healthier and then the the alley-oop he caught too he was really high up there and so i i just thought it, it wasn't like peak robert williams but he he gave enough to stay on the court and i wasn't sure that would be the case after watching him in game seven against Miami. If he had been moving the way he did in that game, I don't think he could have survived against Steph, against all of the Warriors movement and skill and everything else. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he's definitely better, but still not where he was. The four blocks were, were key though. And I do think he presents just a, a huge deterrent around the rim. I just don't. He, they also know that he's there. The the Andre Iguodala cross court pass, he was he was going in for sort of a layup, and Rob was in the vicinity. And he's like, "Oh shit, I'm gonna throw this lollipop pass way to the other side of the court," and Jalen intercepted it. There was one possession where the the Warriors ended up scoring. Clay Thompson hit a three, I believe, but Steph would have had a pass to the bucket, and he's like, "Oh, Robert Williams is sort of near me." I'm not going to try this. So his his impact is important just by being out there, even when he's not totally 100%, at least when he's at that level. Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting what you mentioned earlier that like him playing next to Horford maybe isn't the, the best solution for the Celtics just because it forces both of those guys out on the perimeter. And we saw like Horford having to guard that pin down or – and ending up with just uh, Rob Williams uh, trying to defend Steph Curry in space. I don't know if that's necessarily the answer for the Celtics, but it definitely felt like Robert was much more effective when he was the one big. Um, he made, a mis- I think, one mistake where he dropped too far and let Steph hit uh, hit an open three. But um, I think with surrounding him with shooting and him being rolling to the rim, I think will be more effective uh, for the Celtics. And hopefully the rest uh, – will make him a little bit better as they move forward. Right now we go to Jonathan R. Jonathan, thanks for joining us here on Anything is Potable. Hey, fellas, my uh, newborn's about to bust. She's about to cry, so I'm, I'm going to keep it quick. Uh, I just, I'm aware of the Mittens' reputation. I just, maybe for the uninitiated that doesn't get to watch, I haven't watched him much, like, what exactly do you expect? I'm sorry if you already addressed it, but, like, if he comes back in game two, three, whatever, do you expect it to make 
that big of a difference. Can you like talk to me about what, what that would actually look like? What would who, who who would look like? Uh the the mitten, Gary Payton. Gary Payton. The <laughs> oh, the mitten. I I did not get the uh, reference. Apologies. There. Uh, apologies. Funny. apologies. I, I was wondering who that was too, but I was gonna just let Packer take it, and then we just sat, <laughs> sat there silent for a couple of seconds instead. Uh, I was like, okay, I, 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 I like that. I, I, I didn't make it up, so I, I'll take credit, but I did not make that up. <laughs> His athleticism could be uh, a difference maker. If Jordan Poole can't keep up with the physicality, he's an option to have a defensive-minded perimeter guy who can keep up athletically, who can keep the Celtics out of the paint, who can make plays with his burst. So I, I I would be surprised if he doesn't enter the rotation soon just because the Warriors need a little more athleticism, a little more defensive mindedness. But again, again, like, like with Iguodala, like with Draymond Green, he's a guy that you don't really need to pay close attention to behind the arc. He can shoot a little bit, but. Well, he also just broke his, his like shooting arm. And so maybe. Maybe he had a Henry Rowan Gardner comeback, and maybe he's just – it's all fixed now. Great rookie some, of the year reference. With some funky butt-loving, but, um, like, I just don't imagine you're going to guard him. And I, I don't know where I heard this. I think uh, Trill Withers told me this when I was doing his show earlier today, that, like, the like his shot is just, like, they don't think he can do it yet. I, like, it's a lot to put him out there if he's just, just – what, he break his shoulder or his elbow? In his in his shooting arm, yeah, like elbow. it's just a lot for him to come back. Like he is, he is a, like a huge physical presence on defense. But if he can't give you anything on offense, I don't think this the the Warriors can afford to put like another non shooter out there. That's why I think Otto Porter for them is so important. And him, he was really good. Um, how many threes did he hit? Uh, yeah, four threes off the bench. It, he only played twenty three minutes. But I think he gives them that kind of physicality and size, and you you can't like fully ignore him. I kind of expect them to go more with Porter uh, moving forward. And this was actually his first game back from injury, so maybe uh, they won't play him kind of more moving forward. Right now, Michael M. Michael, thank you for joining us here on Anything Is Potable. Hi, can you all hear me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, I got a few things to say. First of all, I just wanted to congratulate Jam on finishing his first year of law school. That's a big oh. deal. I'm finishing up law school myself, and that first year is the only hard one. So congratulations. Well, that's um, great to hear. Thank you. Second, I am in the Bay Area, and I went to a game at a bar, and I just have some things to report about this ridiculous fan base or this ridiculous <laughs> crowd that was there at the time. So they do not respect the Celtics. I just want to say that. Like, There's some now. reporting from the ground. I like it. Yeah, no, no. This is really, I, I'm happy to do this going forward because these people Michael are- Michael M. Embedded reporter in this, yeah. deep, deep in the bay. Ridiculous. Ridiculous stuff. So first big moment that happened when I knew that this crowd was ignorant was Andrew Wiggins gets a fast break. I think it's the first half. And it's a fast break against Robert Williams. And everybody's screaming, he's going to dunk it. He's going to dunk it. He's going to dunk it. And I just am looking. And I'm like, do you know who he's <laughs> has the fast break on? And sure enough, Robert Williams, it's the weird one where he stepped out 
um, out of the line for like a weird moment. They got the ball afterwards. I don't know if they scored, but yeah, it was just, just kind first... of stoned Andrew Wiggins, like just yeah, stopped put, him in his tracks. Put some respect on on to the Time Lord's name. That was just ridiculous. Um, the other one has to do with the Peyton Pritchard minutes, which I think are, or just generally the fourth quarter in general. Um, there's this one guy in the crowd who had this really obnoxious habit of just yelling, shoot it whenever we got an open three <laughs> in the quarter um, to like people. And he would say it about like Al and Derek White and all these things. And he said it about Peyton Pritchard. And I just turned to him. I was like, what do you think this guy does? You clearly don't watch basketball. And, and sure enough, he hit the corner three and landed it. The second Peyton Pritchard thing was when Peyton just got mentioned earlier, Peyton Pritchard was in the ISO against, um, Iguodala and the guy goes mouse in the house mouse in the house (laughs) over and over and over again it was hilarious and I was like that's Andre Iguodala the guy is like 45 years old he cannot still like he's not going to score and sure enough he didn't score and this is the last one this is the one that really got me and I want you just to discuss how much disrespect the Warriors fans or certain Warriors fans are putting on the Celtics name one guy had the gall to yell who is this guy after Jalen Brown was lighting them up in the fourth <laughs> quarter. He goes, who is this guy? And it was just, I, I, it was just really delightful to watch that crowd melt. There was a sense where I think people, <laughs> I think people now know that the Celtics are about this life, you know, and I don't think <laughs> they're going to win the series, but it was just like, I don't think that they thought this was going to be hard and they know now. So I just wanted to leave you with that. Thank you. That's our our intrepid that was great reporting right there. Reporting from Michael M. Uh, Esquire. Um, I think they know who Jalen Brown is now. They should know. He went to school uh, in the Bay. He went to Cal. Um, he's also pretty good at basketball. Pretty, he's also an All Star. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know what to say to that. But yeah, this series was always going to be difficult for the Warriors. The the Celtics defense is is too good for anything to be easy for any of their opponents. But, I mean, the Warriors, obviously, they're, they're more to deal with than the Celtics have faced, offensively speaking, over the last couple of series, or the, any of the series, as good as the Nets were. They just kind of ISO. You, you know what to prepare for, whereas the Warriors, a lot of it is just fluid stuff. But... Yeah, well, what what reporting? I, I we we might need to turn that into a regular segment. What, what do the Warriors fans think today? I mean, with when you go to six finals in eight years, you get some uh, some casuals in there. So maybe a, a, a kind of infused with people who are just now tuning in, just expecting the Warriors to win. But um, I like that boots on the ground behind enemy lines. That's the kind of stuff you get with here from anything is potable. Now, we turn to John O. John, thank you for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Celtics won, so any day is a good day now. And I just have um, a real quick question. So I feel like for the rest of the game, Jordan Poole is just going to be in every single switch known to mankind. (laughs) So, like, my question is, do you think the Celtics are going to try to get Jason Tatum on to pool more often to get him going? Or just or are they going to want Jalen Brown to cook and be like the not like spark plug, but like ignite the edge engine, so to speak, like they did in, in the fourth quarter going from the rest of the series? Thanks for the question, John. What do you think, Jay? 
Yeah, I, I think they'll they'll keep going at Jordan Poole. They'll keep going at Stephen Curry. Seemed like they went at Clay Thompson a little bit with with Jalen Brown. Um, obviously, Clay is a super accomplished defender. Obviously, at his best, he's really freaking good on that end of the court. But he's probably compromised at least a little bit by the injuries he's he's still coming back from. And so, yeah, I think the Celtics will go at those guys, all the small guys, as much as they can. I think and when I mean, I think they did a great job of that early, but but they got to it more and more as the game went on. And the, no. the Warriors were junking things up. They were playing zone. They were going boxing one. They were doing. They were really trying to junk it up, and I think they realized that some of the matchups for them are going to be difficult. So, they were just just throwing darts, as Brad Stevens would have said. Yeah, the Celtics did a much better job of it in the in the second half. I think KOC tweeted out like they went at Kevon Looney. I think 17 times in the in the first half and only scored 20 points, which is not great efficiency. And they definitely targeted Steph and um, Poole more often in the second half. I think when, and you mentioned this earlier, Jay, when Steph and Poole are on the uh, court at the same time, that's just two smaller guys. Um, I think they they might target Steph there and just to get like Poole to be the guy who's in rotation just because he doesn't seem to be the best decision maker there. And so you show help on a Tatum drive that draws kind of two to the ball, the ball swings. And now you're basically attack with attacking Jordan Poole on closeouts. And he's just with all the guys the Celtics have, he just doesn't seem like he has the physicality of the athleticism to kind of keep up at that point. And so I definitely expect to see both of them attacked, um, especially when they're sharing the court moving forward. Avery W. Oh, Hey guys, um, my question is about Peyton Pritchard's minutes. It seems like, I think he played like 15 or 16 last night, but it seems like the Celtics learned they get away with his defense because he can actually go through the screens and cover Steph and Clay and Jordan as they make that move. Do you think he plays like 20 to 25 minutes this series, or is that just uh, not a hard return of what happened last night? I do not think he will play 20 to 25 minutes just because. The Celtics have a lot of good players. <laughs> they have a lot of guys who are going to get a lot of minutes. Part of his impressive performance, though, in game one, part of what that did was it, it limited the, the minutes for guys who have been on heavy loads throughout this playoffs. Marcus Smart played just 30 minutes. Jalen Brown, I mean, I would say just, <laughs> played 38 minutes, which is a little on the light side for him in the playoffs. Jason Tatum, he played 42, but I feel like in the Miami series, it was often more than that. So Pritchard playing as well as he did and being able to handle the minutes that he did and being able to survive defensively the way he did was was really, really good for them. And I think this series is a little bit different for him where he's not going to get hunted by a super physical dude anymore. He's going to get hunted sometimes, I'm sure, by Steph Curry by Clay Thompson, they'll go at him with action, but it's not like Jimmy Butler where someone's just going to be overpowering him. I, I, he, it could be more of a Peyton Pritchard series than, than the last one turned into. He was really good at the beginning of that Heat series, by, by the way, but the Celtics kind of limited his minutes as the series went on. Um, we will see if, 
if he plays huge minutes. But I just don't think with with the way Derek White is playing, with the way Marcus Smart is playing, it's just going to be tough to to give him a ton of minutes. I just looked up the Stephen Curry and Jordan Poole lineup stats, by the way. They are bleak. <laughs> Extremely bleak. The the Warriors had a minus 40.8 net rating over the 16 minutes those two guys shared the court, which is not great. Obviously not great. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to look up the the traditional stats right now. So I want to see exactly what they were outscored during those 16 minutes. But it's pretty clear that that that's going to be a group that the Celtics can probably attack. And if, if that part of that was that the Warriors didn't score with those two guys on the court either. And, and normally they're scoring a ton and they're putting the ball through the hoop. And on the other end of the court, they are, you know, at, at least giving themselves a better chance. Yeah. They were minus 13 in the 16 minutes with those guys on the court. They shot just eight for 27 from the field with those guys on the court and and gave up a ton of points, too. So just an ugly, ugly performance from that duo, which has been one of their best duos at times in this playoffs, especially against the Nuggets in the first round. But it's kind of lost some of its effectiveness, some of its luster later in the playoffs as, as more and more guys are able to attack the the defense of that group and take pool out of like the Celtics just have a lot of guys who can take pool out of a rhythm. I don't think anyone can really take Steph out of rhythm because he's that good. You can try and you can, you know, force him to to have tougher shots, more contested shots, but he just finds his. But pool, I, I don't think he's nearly at that level yet, and and he'll have a lot to deal with in this series both ends of the court. Yeah, I think it's one of the strengths of the Celtics team and it get, kind of getting back to that Peyton Pritchard question. Like Pritchard's the only guy in their top eight who you would classify as like not a, not like a, a two-way player. And so the Celtics, um, one, that's one reason why I would, I would be shocked if Peyton Pritchard got this many minutes moving forward. I don't know, it kind of felt like just an arbitrary decision to leave him in the game when they, like, he wasn't making – that much of an impact there in the fourth quarter, but I, I guess he may want his shooting out there. Um, and it did give some Marcus Smart some rest, and Smart was able to come in and knock down two threes. But because he – and it, I guess he hasn't shown himself to be a defensive liability, but the other seven guys in the rotation are just um, pretty solid on both ends of the ball, whereas the Warriors – and I think this is something that the Heat struggle with, something the Bucks struggle with, something the Nets struggle with, they're just like finding five guys – finding that lineup that can play uh, both ways uh, where they don't have someone like Jordan Poole, who's like a clear minus that there, like he's pools in there for his offense, but if he's not going to score, he's really hurting you on the defensive end. I think that's just one of the, the keys for the Celtics this year and their success is that especially in their top seven guys, there's just not a lot of players out there where um, they're going to hurt you on either end. And that's why they've just been so uh, sturdy so far. All right. Grant G, thank you for joining us here on Anything is Potable. How are you doing? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? Doing well. 
Uh, first thing I just wanted to say, uh, Jay, really out of all the Boston movies, you picked Black Mass to watch. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was <laughs> that was a tough tough choice for me on the uh, the flight from Boston to San Francisco. I I honestly I have watched that movie before. I know it's not a very good movie. The <laughs> other options weren't great. I was on Alaska Airlines. It was kind of limited options, but there were better movies to choose. And I put that on myself. I have to be better. I know it's playoff <laughs> time. I, I can't allow that on my next play. I mean, it definitely worked. So we're one and oh whenever you watch Black Mass. Uh I also just wanted to say Celtics. Credit to Whitey Bolger for the Celtics win. Yeah. Winter Hill gang. Uh Celtics are now 13-6 and six this postseason covering the, the spread. Good teams win, great teams cover, elite teams do both. <laughs> uh, and the Celtics are 4-0 and whenever they hit 20 plus threes. So I think uh, if they strive for that three more times, we're looking good. Um, and then how happy are you that you don't have to watch Jimmy Butler headhunt for steals and Kyle Lowry just – pretty much just be himself this series <laughs> see I, I did find beauty in the struggle in that series it was just a bloodbath I think everyone knew it was going to be a bloodbath everyone knew it was just going to be some discombobulated basketball with a bunch of guys just just basically body slamming each other all the time I that said <laughs> it was enjoyable to watch Two teams that could have score? damage you in the half court and, and score in the half court. So it, it's definitely a different different type of series this time. Probably more aesthetically pleasing series I just, this time. I just remember like commenting to myself when I think it was like seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and that both teams just had gotten over a hundred. I was like. The Heat and Celtics, or yeah, the Heat and Celtics could never do this. Like the the game seven was a hundred to ninety six. It's wild the amount of you know just shot making. And both teams, I think they combined for the most threes made in a finals game um, for forty. But still, it was just a we're we're playing a, an entirely brif- different brand of basketball, and I think it's uh, a welcome for. Celtics fans and just basketball fans, because a lot of people were complaining about kind of the ugliness uh, of that series. So it's definitely a, a it's going to be a fantastic matchup uh, moving forward between these two teams. All right, J.A., our final caller of the day. Thank you for joining us, J.A. How are you doing? Guys, can you hear me? Yes, sir. All right, fellas. Thanks for having me on. I just I don't want to one up Michael B., but I was actually at the game last night. Ooh, um, even ooh. more reporting. <laughs> yes. Let me tell you, Michael B. is dead on. I was having some arguments that I never thought I would have in my life. I grew up playing a little bit of ball. I'm not so good, but I enjoy playing. But has there ever been a time in my life where there is not a foul to smack someone in the face? Because apparently that's not in San Francisco. Because I was arguing with a guy, and he said, oh, maybe that's a foul in Boston, but not in San Francisco. We don't play like that. First off, San Francisco is the softest city in America. I would have believed it if he said Oakland, but not San Francisco. Secondly... Uh, I just want to say it was it was real loud in the third, but it got quiet in the fourth there, man. Oh, boy, it was quiet. A lot of C's fans, we were real loud, but, man, they got quiet in the fourth. Um, serious, actual question. Um, I saw someone, maybe it was Corrales, post on Twitter about how Smart kind of struggled a little bit on Curry, at least early on. And I'm wondering if it does make sense to, I don't know if this is too galaxy brain take, but 
to actually kind of shift him off of Curry sometimes because he can work better as like sort of the Draymond role of orchestrating the defense and keep, you know, Derek White and Pritchard and, and maybe even Jalen Brown sort of hounding Curry off the screens and things like that. But I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I think there'll be times when, when they take him off Curry. White is really good in that role. Like, White so good. It's a wildly different. Around screens and contesting threes. And there was one possession. Clay ended up hitting a three. But White, like, he navigated a, an on-ball screen. He chased Curry around another screen. He closed out to force Curry into a drive. He then recovered, poked the ball away from behind, and Curry ended up finding Clay Thompson right at the end of the shot clock. But it was like 20 seconds of Derek White doing everything it took to impact Stephen Curry. So he will be an option on Steph. Um, Sometimes I'm sure they'll, they'll want smart off him just to preserve him. I I I struggle to put too much of the early issues on Smart. I know he probably had some miscommunications and some moments where he he didn't do what he needed to do, but I, I just believe that the Celtics were destined to give up some moments like that early on just because the Warriors are unlike anything they've played in this playoff run anything they've ever played in the playoffs. So I I don't think that's representative of what Smart will be like against Curry for the rest of this series. But yeah, we'll I mean, you got to put Marcus Smart on Steph Curry for some portion of the game. He's the defensive player of the year. you got to make Steph Curry work. But Steph is going to get buckets because um, – He's the greatest shooter of all time and is like just an amazing, amazing basketball player. Um, But I think it may have been a little bit of a galaxy brain take. But, you know, you uh, you earned that, J.A., with your intrepid reporting from inside the stadium. Jay, maybe maybe challenging your role uh, as a reporter here on this podcast. You know, I'm the fan. I give the fans perspective. But we got two reporters coming at your neck. But not every reporter. Not of uh, any of our reporters uh, when venturing into the uh, the the Warriors bathrooms and, um, to to do some reporting there. Can you can you talk can you talk to us about what you found when you were investigating the Chase Center bathrooms? I couldn't believe it. I've always been under the impression that anything is potable, and then I walked in the Warriors media bathroom, and there's literally a sign that says non-potable, <laughs> non potable, non potable water, and. <laughs> It blew my mind. I I didn't know what to think. I took a picture of it. I tweeted it out. I I think they're mistaken though. I think anything is As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.